safe haven laws made their first appearances when they were put into effect back in 1998. Under this legislation, people can relinquish custody of their infant at a designated place without fear of arrest or prosecution. Now, a Fort Wayne firefighter has proposed adding so-called baby boxes at safe havens in Indiana. These boxes would have sensors that notify authorities when a baby is placed inside. They were designed to increase the anonymity of people choosing this option. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, and today on Noon Edition, we will speak with the man who drafted the original safe haven laws, the Indiana firefighter who proposed the addition of baby boxes, and the state representative who had drafted the legislation to include the boxes. And we invite you to join the conversation after this hour's news. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're going to talk about uh, safe haven laws. Safe haven laws allow a parent or a guardian to relinquish custody of their infant at a designated place without fear of arrest or prosecution. In Indiana, a person can bring a baby less than 30 days old to an emergency room, a fire station, or a police station. Today, we're going to talk more about uh, proposed legislation to in install baby boxes at these designated locations as a way to further protect the anonymity of people who choose this option. The Indiana House of Representatives unanimously passed a bill to allow these baby boxes. We have three guests, and uh, they're all joining us from far and wide around Indiana today. Uh, one guest is Monica Kelsey. She's a firefighter and medic in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and she is behind the proposal to install the baby boxes at Indiana Safe Havens. Representative Casey Cox of Fort Wayne wrote the baby box legislation for Indiana, and Tim Jacquard will be here. He is the he drafted the original safe haven legislation, and he has spoken out uh, in opposition to the baby box legislation. So if you want to join the conversation today, please give us a call at 855 0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So, um, Monica, I got to talk to you a little before the show, and we got to talk to Casey. Hopefully, Tim, are you there? Hey, Bob. How are you doing? Hey, good. Thanks for being here with us today. Glad to have all, all three of you on the line. It's a, certainly a, an interesting topic. And uh, I wanted to, uh, to start with Monica. Um, and, Monica, you, you actually went to Casey Cox about – and I should mention, you know, Casey Cox is a former IU student body president. So <laughs> any of you here in Bloomington who think you recognize that name, that may be where you've heard it before. So, Monica, could you talk about how all this got started? Yeah, um, I actually went to South Africa in December of 2012, and um, I speak nationally and internationally, and I got to see firsthand the baby box and how Cape Town, South Africa has implemented it and the, the lives that have been saved. And I came back to Indiana, and my people talked to Casey's people, and Casey was interested in, in the Safe Haven Law awareness campaign and advancing it. Um, and um, 
here we are today with with the bill, um, you know, passing the House unanimously. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm so honored that, that Casey was able to um, take the vision that I brought back from South Africa and, and see a need for it in Indiana and, and take it this far. So you talked about how it saves a lot of lives. So, you know, how, how does that happen? How's it saving well, lives? Well, the safe haven law um, is designed sure, to yeah. have a person hand over a child. Mm-hmm. Um, face-to-face interaction is required, and and the law in in the entire United States has saved about three thousand babies. So it's working, um, and and the people who have implemented this over the last fifteen years have done an amazing job. However, there's still these babies, anywhere from 55 to 100 per year, that are still being abandoned illegally in our country. And in Indiana, um, 33 of those babies that were illegally abandoned um, were from the state of Indiana. Um, And this box takes the face-to-face interaction away. It's not changing the already existing safe haven law. That's going to stay the same. We're just adding an extra step. So the women who feel that they can't do the face-to-face interaction have an option to not throw their child in the trash, the dumpster, a creek, uh, a woods here recently in Indianapolis back in December of 2014. Mm -hmm. So it's just giving these women an alternative to the not having the face-to-face interaction. But of course, we're encouraging women to do the face-to-face interaction um, and handing their children over to a firefighter, a police officer, or a health professional at a hospital. But if they can't do that, then then this box we want available for them. Monica, um, let's get real nuts and bolts here. How does this work exactly? Are these built into the side of a building or how, how does it actually work? Well, the health department, um, once if this passes, um, the health department's going to be required to have protocols, policies, and procedures in place. So I can, I can have, you know, we, we pay, our organization paid to have a prototype made. So we could um, use that prototype to um, advance um, and, and make this, this box safe. Um, but the reality is, is if the health department doesn't like the box, they can come in and, and say, no, we want this change, we want this change, and change the whole concept. So the box that we have out there right now is just a prototype, one that we feel we can use to make safer by listening to people's comments and concerns. And we have changed the box. Uh, the third box now is being built right now, which is a little bit different from the box that's all over the news. Um, but there, it's going to be set up to... Um, to have three trips to the 911 center. The first trip is when the door is opened. Second trip is when the box, or when the child places, or when the woman places the child in the box, there's gonna be a weight sensor. And then the third uh, trip to 911 is gonna be uh, for the woman to push. Um, so there's th- there's gonna be three trips to 911 with this box. Um, and Monica, do you have a cost factor of this box? I'm sorry, that say again? How much, how much is the box going to cost the hospital staff or the hospital itself or the fire department if, if they decide to, to carry it through to the fire department? Well, keep in mind, Tim, that this is optional. No fire department, no hospital, no police station has to have this box. This is totally voluntary. And we don't have a number. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Do I have a, cost, it. I have a cost? Did, yeah, how much do, would the, one of these boxes cost to install? Uh, I, I don't have those numbers yet. The box isn't built, and we don't know what the health department is is requiring this box to have, Tim. If I okay. can, if yeah, I can. I, I understand it. Yeah. Is there I want to clarify a couple of the other? Yeah, let, let's go. Yeah, Tim, let's go to Casey Cox first, and then we'll get back to you. Yeah. Guys, since we're all on the phone, we really can't interrupt each other. If, so, because we, <laughs> we do, it really, it really makes it hard for everybody to hear. So, we really need to give each other time to finish. So, go ahead, Casey. Yeah. Uh, thanks. 
to Bob and Mary Catherine for for having us on. Uh, I, I appreciate it. It's, it's an interesting topic, as we've seen from all the the news coverage, and uh, and I also want to thank Monica and and Tim for uh, the good work that they have done. Um, I think I hope that uh, anyone who is uh, listening or watching this um, can can certainly uh, understand um, the altruistic uh, intentions behind. Uh, not only this bill, but the safe haven laws uh, throughout the country, um, and, and and I think it's a very good thing when we can elevate the level of discourse with respect to this issue um, and you know, life issues in general, but uh, the issue of a child abandonment. If, if we have succeeded in anything so far, it has been um, the number of inquiries and attention uh, that these laws have gotten. I understand that, in fact, in some Indiana uh, schools in their health class, uh, this has prompted discussions about um, the existing safe haven law. So that's a very good thing. Um, I think of this, this, this bill primarily as a development bill. Um, basically what it does is it says um, that we will require the Indiana Department of Health uh, and I've had a number of conversations with both the Department of Child Services in Indiana as well as the Department of Health. We will require them to, uh, by July 1 of 2016, to develop standards and protocols with respect to the um, voluntarily implementation of newborn safety incubators. We set forth in the law some minimum criteria upon which the Department of Health would have to develop these, and these include things like, um, as Monica mentioned, uh, automatic alarms with respect to uh, uh, weight sensors, um, temperature controls, uh, oxygen controls, things, things of this nature. Um, and so the idea would be that essentially over the next, uh, what, 18 months or so, the Department of Health would essentially study this in a way, in order to, because we don't have the, we only have these, as we found out, in, in fairly limited places. We know, of, I think, of, of nine hospitals in Arizona that have something very similar to this. They have some in Canada as well. Um, in other places of the modern uh, developed world, we know that they, they exist. We know that they, 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 they do uh, uh, receive children uh, safely. Uh, but instead of taking something that exists, say, in Canada, we thought we would empower and require our Department of Health to take some time, develop standards and protocols, um, for, uh, which will include design standards for these. And it may well be the case that um, some of Monica's ideas with respect to the prototype that she's developed um, are, are borrowed, uh, but maybe also not. It may be the case that... Um, um, the, the manner in which this is presented, that we narrow the scope, make it hospitals only as a possibility, um, and, and so that the child is being placed essentially into the uh, uh, facility in, in, in an appropriate, safe manner. Um, Monica mentioned it, it is completely voluntary. Um, I mean, a number of folks I've spoken with are interested in it, but, but most don't have a lot of concern because at the, at the end of the day, um, we have these standards and protocols developed. It becomes July 1, 2016, and it's possible that, that for some time nothing happens because people want to see, okay, how, how am I going to implement that? If we want to do this, how are we going to implement it with respect to our building? But that we make those decisions um, with respect to the eligible service providers who can make those and can, can weigh whether or not the cost is worth something that they want to do or um, if they want to they, they focus instead on uh, maybe an awareness campaign or something like that. So it's simply a voluntary option, um, and it's something that I think that we want to have some rules in place uh, that people who have an interest in this 
um, in the months and years ahead can be able to make those decisions responsibly. All right. We're talking about uh, safe haven laws and, more specifically, the, these new uh, baby boxes. Um, I believe Representative Casey Cox called them incubators. Um, Newborn incubators, is that what you said? The, the bill calls them newborn safety incubators. Okay. We, I think the original term was something slightly different than that. Um, the, the, the point is that, you know, I, we're, I'm trying to emphasize as much as possible that what we're going for is, is a medical-like device. Right. Um, and I've had some conversations. I was approached by a neonatologist after the public health committee um, house hearing um, who has who told me I've worked on I have helped save the lives of, of babies who have been found in the trash and I think this is a wonderful thing you're doing she did have some she encouraged me to think about you know the, the terminology and mm-hmm. ensuring that we're not we're not confusing a newborn safety incubator uh, uh, concept with with a uh, NICU incubator mm-hmm. that's fully enclosed so yeah, we're thinking about those things as well, but I also want to convey as much as possible that we're talking about a medical-like device, and, and we're still having discussions. I'm going to meet with some folks in the Senate next week about um, some of the um, allowable providers, whether or not we keep in the provision regarding uh, allowing some nonprofits to be able to, in the future, potentially operate these, uh, or whether we limit it to hospitals, perhaps. What's great about a concept like this is it's, as you can see from the vote in the House, it's, it's, it's bipartisan. Like I said, people understand the altruistic motives and intentions. And I have no pride of, uh, the, you know, the first draft is, is, is going to be law. I, I want to arrive at the best policy possible. And so um, we've had some very productive conversations with people who are against the bill who have offered some suggestions on how they think and improve it. And I've, I've taken those under advisement and I'm seriously considering them. Okay. Uh, let me give our phone numbers and then I'm going to go to Tim Jacquard. So 855-0811 in Bloomington, one 285 And you can also join live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Okay, Tim. Now uh, we're going to give you uh, plenty of time to, to respond to this, because I know you do have some concerns. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> First, the uh, Indiana uh, law, uh, we've had uh, 13 <coughs> saves since 2001 in in the Indiana uh, area there. Um, I'm, I'm the safe haven coordinator for the uh, Indiana Department of Children and Services hotline. I operate the hotline that uh, the calls come in on on a regular basis. And when those calls come in, uh, part of the 13 saves that we had, we had 33 birth mothers that opted to, after having conversations with the crisis center counselors, were able to, to do what we call a flip, flip them into placing the babies for adoption through licensed adoption agencies. So that's the positive part about having a human contact with it. Um, one of the <clears throat> major concerns that, that we are, we're concerned with is that um, we contacted the insurance companies that insures the hotline for us, and the cost factor there that um, it'll probably cost us about a hundred dollars per box for the uh, two million dollar liability uh, on that. One of the other main concerns with the police department and uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani's office when we discussed this these possibility of these boxes way back in. 2001, we had concerns about um, the alarm systems and all, but today the major concern with the uh, task force, uh, the uh, task force uh, for crime is concerned
is trying their best to take out as many first responders, emergency personnel as possible. And their major concern is somebody placing a bomb inside this device um, without being seen on camera. And, and then the, the responder on the other side, the nurse opens the door up and the bomb goes off and takes out the entire emergency room. One of the other factors, as I said, insurance is $200 a box. Um, we're looking at, let's say, 100 boxes are put in. Uh, um, how and who is going to pay for the insurance aspects of those boxes when they're installed? Um, and then also the certification and uh, the calculation of what we had when we first went over these boxes back in 2001. Uh, you're, you're talking anywhere from $25,000 for the uh, uh, installation, maintenance, care of these boxes, and it can probably go as high as as, uh, as 50000 Then you've got the training aspects of it, so, um, and then if there's a power shortage, the only thing would be able to have a possible backup to that would be, um, would be the hospitals with their automatic generators. Um, to, to set for that. Um, the main thing also is the contact with the, with the birth mothers. Where our main concerns also is that when we have contact, if <clears throat> that mother looks like she needs medical care, we can possibly provide that for her in the emergency room anonymously. <clears throat> and that's, that's a fact, factor that we have to, to really consider. Um, and also, if you look at the, um, the statistics that we presently have, in Indiana, you would need 900, we, we estimate 900 locations that could be potentially uh, installations for these boxes. With, with today's figures, um, those boxes uh, would, would not uh, receive, 750 of them will not have a baby placed in that box for 10 years at the present rate of the relinquishments that we have. And out of that part, 10-year uh, period, 100 to 150 of those locations will only receive one baby or two babies in a 10-year period. So is the monies spent on these boxes worth the investment? And, and I know every life is precious, but if we can take those resources of monies and do public service announcements and awareness programs, we can continually drop the rate the way have we've been doing uh, for the past uh, 10 years here. Okay, Tim. Now, you've made uh, a whole lot of uh, points, and I want to go back to Monica and, and Casey. Um, so let's just take one, maybe one of the points first. The, the 900 number that, that Tim mentioned, is that um, something that you think would be required, Casey and Monica? Uh, the legislation itself is not does not have a 900 number in there um the or any i'm sorry an 800 number um i, I know you know monica and i have no, talked that, it was yeah. not 900 different boxes oh that, that issue i'm sorry yeah yeah i'm sorry okay so i think the concern there is is hey if, if everyone went wild with these and, and put them anywhere under the at least that's the laws it's or the legislation is currently written if they went ahead and put them everywhere um fortunately we're not talking about a high number of abandonments. We're talking about very few. So you may have a uh, vast number of uh, I call them newborn safety incubators because that's what the legislation calls them. Um, so you have you have these 
newborn safety incubators all over. You're going to have very few um, activity with respect to them, and so will people forget them? Um, and then maybe they break down, they have problems, uh, and uh, they kind of go by the wayside uh, and, and become a bigger problem um, over many, many years. And, my, and uh, my response to that is the way the legislation is written is it puts the onus on the provider and it makes them responsible. So if you keep in mind, because this is completely voluntary, it's not a government program, um, it's not publicly funded, we, we have said um, if, you were, or if you are, let's say, a hospital, a privately owned hospital, let's say a Catholic hospital, and your foundation says, we think this is a good thing, we've had three abandonments in the last three years, um, and uh, we think that this is an issue, we want to uh, raise funds through our foundation to install a newborn safety incubator, uh, abide by the standards and protocols that have been set forth and promulgated by rule under the Indiana Administrative Code. Um, we're going to raise the money to do that. We're going to make sure that we're complying with that. The importance of the putting the onus on the provider is um, if they – not only are they raising the money to do that, they've, they've made this conscious, probably board-level decision to want to do this, um, number one. Number two, um, they are agreeing to abide by uh, Indiana uh, Administrative Code. If they fail to do that, um, they lose, and this is, comes back into the insurance issue, they lose the limited liability protection for operating one of these newborn safety incubators that is granted in the legislation, which basically says if you follow the rules that have been promulgated by the, by the Indiana Department of Health, we're going we're gonna to hold you harmless from, from something that may happen with respect to the newborn safety incubators because we, we, want, we know that nobody would want to do this if there was full liability, yet we believe that the department um, is going to be able to put in place um, rules and regulations that make these safely operate. And then third, if you still fail to do that, not only are you losing limited liability protection, but you're subject to a $10,000 penalty. So the idea that people would just kind of forget about these, um, it, it, they would be, have to be very irresponsible to do that and be subject, subjecting themselves to a whole lot of liability and a $10,000 fine. Finally, there, one of the requirements is you have to go on. It requires the department to do a simple registry so that online we could get on and see exactly where these are. That's an annual requirement to basically say, yep, we still got it, we still got it. Um, and so you're taking these conscious steps. If somebody didn't do that, then they have something there that's in violation of law and is subjecting themselves, again, not only to, um, um, not only to liability, um, but to, to civil penalties as well. And any responsible, any organization that is responsible enough to take the steps to make a board-level decision to not only fund this, but to install it and abide by the terms is, is in my view, not going to be irresponsible to just let it sit there when they decide that maybe this isn't right for them or it hasn't had any activity over 10 years. Um, they shut it down and uh, notify the Department <coughs> of Health that it's no longer in operation. And the hospital, in my example, will continue to um, be uh, available for use of the existing safe haven law, such that if someone arrived saying, hey, I remember coming by this hospital a few years ago and seeing this newborn safety incubator, I wanted to utilize it. Um, at least we put that person at, at now a location, a hospital, 
um, that uh, uh, they can still utilize the existing law. And there's certainly, we're, we're not, I want to emphasize, we are not talking about supplanting the existing law. We would always encourage that, um, for the reasons that Tim mentioned, that that be utilized first and foremost. We're talking about those situations where it's not being utilized, but where someone has taken some step towards implying its usage. So when we see these cases, like have happened in Indiana, uh, where a child's left on the porch of a um, of a Merrillville police officer in Merrillville, Indiana, or uh, recently, I think, in New York, a child left outside of a fire department. In my view, there seems to be some intention, there's some knowledge of that I can take this child to, a, to one of these locations, but there's not that follow-through, and, and we think it's for the reasons that Monica mentioned. So we've put a lot of thought, and, and I'm always... I, I, I love these questions and I, because it causes me to go back and think, are we doing this right? Are we doing it responsibly? At the end of the day, we want to have the, the best policy possible. Um, and, and I just think it's, this is a great discussion. Okay, we're going to get into a lot more of this discussion in the second half of our program. Uh, if you want to give us a call and join the show, 855-0811 in Bloomington. I guess that would be 812-855-0811 in Bloomington now. And one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can contact us at Twitter at noon edition. We'll be right back. This is noon edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiu.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIU.org news. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg with the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today uh, we're talking about the uh, baby box proposal. We will call them newborn safety incubators. Um, that is working its way through the legislature. We have uh, three guests with us, all joining us by phone. Monica Kelsey, a firefighter and medic in Fort Wayne, who has uh, she is behind the proposal to install the baby boxes at the Indiana at Indiana Safe Havens. Also, State Representative Casey Cox who wrote the legislation for the state, and Tim Jacquard, who drafted the original safe haven legislation and um, is opposed to or has lots of concerns about the baby box um, portion of this legislation. If you want to join us on the program, 855-0811 in Bloomington. That's 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, so I wanted to ask you, uh, Monica, I know uh, I read another story about this 
I think from Indiana Public Media, and it talked about uh, some of your own you know, personal reasons for wanting to push this legislation. Would you mind going into that a little bit? Sure. Um, my, I was adopted at birth, and, and I had no idea of my beginnings prior to five years ago. And I met my biological mother, and she was 17 years old. She was brutally attacked and raped and left along the side of the road. And this was back in August of 1972 when abortion was illegal in our country. And in October of 1972, my biological grandmother took my mother my birth mother to a back alley abortion clinic to have me aborted because the family she couldn't have the family looked at and back in 1972 it was a lot different than it is today that the family was shamed if you were 17 pregnant and unwed um, but my birth mother couldn't go through with it and um, gave birth to me in April of 1973 and abandoned me at a hospital in Ohio two hours after I was born so I have a very personal connection with this. And after getting to meet my biological mother and, and understanding the reasons behind it, I don't want any girl to feel that the face-to-face -face interaction is, is going to be a, a problem for her. And, and these boxes is just taking the face-to-face -face interaction away. I understand um, you know, what, what Tim was saying you know, about a, a girl needing medical care um, and, and that we wouldn't be able to offer that to her if she placed the child in the box. But if you look at the already existing safe haven law that was wrote in 2001, it doesn't require this birth mother to walk into this fire station. It says any responsible adult. So we're not, we're not offering this woman medical care anyway at this current time. Now, I feel that as a woman myself, if I had any, any problems um, after a birth, I would go to a local hospital. Um, I've actually been in contact with somebody that's from the Anderson area uh, that was um, abandoned in a trash can. She was known as the trash can baby. And her mother actually hemorrhaged at home. Um, and she knew enough about her her body to go to a local hospital um, and never was able to have any more children. They did a, a complete hysterectomy right after this, but this was back in 1952. Um, so I believe that girls know their bodies well enough to know that if they're in trouble, they will go into a hospital um, to, to, to get the medical attention that they need. All right. So um, we have had a question from the live chat, and we, we did get into this just a little bit before, but uh, the, the questioner asked, where is the funding coming from um, and what is the projected cost? And I know the cost, we sort of got into that early in the program. The funding sounds like uh, Representative Cox that the funding would be private. Right. It's not a, one of the misconceptions has been that this is this is a mandate and that it's a it's a government funded program. Um, it's not. Again, it's really a development bill about putting a framework in place. Should these private entities uh, wish to do this at some point, and so that's where those funds would need to come from. Tim, I have a question for you. Since you wrote the existing safe safe haven laws, um, what, how did you come up with the uh, less than thirty days old portion of that? That I, I think would apply also here to the the uh, baby incubator box, if you will. Originally, uh, um, some of the states had seventy two hours. Um, some states have five days, seven days, forty uh, forty five days. Uh, your bill was amended to thirty days. Uh, and we're trying to make it so that we can eventually have it as a unification bill where all the states would have the identical uh, requirements. Uh, and that's what the unification is what we're trying to do. It would be 30 days seem to be the most popular uh, request uh, from most of the legislators throughout the country. Uh, North Dakota is the only one that has one year, actually. And, uh, and, and again, these, uh, the 
baby boxes were were discussed many times in many places. Now, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, um, they have what is known as, as baby uh, bassinets. They, they refer to them like boxes, but bassinets that have an alarm, and the mother presses a button, and it's, it's, in, it's in the emergency room area. And in the past 10 years since they've been there, they have not had a single baby relinquished there, but yet 24 birth mothers have relinquished their babies to staff personnel in emergency room and firehouses. So um, they, they're there. Uh, our main concern, as I said, is the cost factor here. Um, our insurance company, uh, who's going to help me uh, cover the, let's say, 100 boxes are installed in Indiana, who's going to reimburse me back for the $20,000 it's going to cost me to insure uh, the liability of these boxes? Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to... Those are the things that I would like to, to possibly that uh, uh, Representative Cox could, could kind of help me with here. If, if they're going to use them, uh, the crisis centers hotline here, we operate three crisis centers, and uh, if these boxes do go in, I need to know who's going to help me uh, with the finance of the insurance aspects. Let's go with uh, Monica first and then, then Casey Cox. Um, our organization that I founded um, is we're, we're talking to safe haven advocates throughout the entire United States and um, we found that we do need to have our own 800 number here in Indiana which we've already um, uh, we already have now um, and we are uh, in the process of hiring licensed counselors for these 800 numbers so um, Tim hopefully you don't have any of that cost um, we're trying to take that off of your shoulders and put that on us because we do need to do more in Indiana. Um, uh, Arizona um, has the baby drawers. Um, they have saved... You're going to remove the 800 numbers that that has been in existence uh, for over 10 years now that people are aware with thousands and millions of, of, of printed materials that has the 800 number uh, there in Indiana uh, is, is now going to be eliminated. I mean, well, uh, if somebody wants to call you, I mean, if somebody service. calls you, then if somebody calls you, Tim, I'm uh, uh, services going to turn around and, and just just discard my number now after it being used for ten years. Um, uh, okay, Tim, you have to let her answer. Yeah. Uh, of of course not, Tim. I mean, that would be irresponsible on our part. You've done an amazing job, Tim. Uh, I've told you this many of times on the phone in our private conversations. You're doing amazing things. Um, but we don't want you to have to take on any additional costs either. That's why we we founded this eight this eight 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 number that that we're working with closely right now um, to try and get it launched. So you don't have to take that burden. Are people still going to call your phone? Probably so. Um, and and that's just the reality of of you being in this fight for 15 years and and people having that number. And and uh, again, uh, we're trying to take some of the pressure off of you for Indiana, so you don't have that cost factor. But you know, I keep hearing you say a dollar amount for for everything that we're talking about. Indiana is committed to the life issue, 100. percent We're one of the most pro-life states in this country, and. I'm not about to put a, a dollar amount on any child's life in the state of Indiana or in this country, for the, in this world for that matter. If I can save one child with a million dollars, Tim, I would write the check today. That's how committed we are to this. 
It, it's not a cost issue for us. And the people of Indiana are already um, stepping forward and saying, we want these, we will help you. The Knights of Columbus is an amazing organization. Um, they are on board with this, uh, already agreed to fund the first hundred boxes. Um, and, and we're encouraged by this um, because again, Indiana is committed to the life issue. And I can't speak for every state, I'm not from every state, but Indiana um, is showing that, that uh, it doesn't matter the cost. We want to save the children that are being abandoned. And by the way, Tim, in Indiana, we've had 28 uh, safe relinquishments. Um, nobody's keeping good stats throughout the United States. We actually had to go to the health department to get these numbers. But 28 um, women have surrendered their children legally in the state of Indiana. However, 33 have been illegally dumped. All right. I want to give our phone numbers again. one 812 855 So 812-855-0811 in Bloomington. <clears throat> one 285 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So, Casey, do you want to respond? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm, I'm glad Tim's raised the issue because I, I uh, uh, actually I had no idea that their insurance um, was something that, that that a nonprofit's insurance uh, in New York was contemplated with respect to this. And, and, and really... Uh, just a couple questions that can help me um, make sure we can come to a solution for Tim. Um, Tim, with respect, is the issue with respect to some of your insurance uh, questions the p number of potential locations, or is it the 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 existence of the device itself? What 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 are you, what is your insurance provider telling you in that regard? Uh, they're saying that uh, we are using the, the, our hotline number. That, that's out there if they call on our line and we send that uh, baby to a fire uh, to a hospital uh -huh. that has a device and they place the baby in there okay. and a malfunction malfunction takes place now it, it, as, and uh, Casey as you know it if you've ever been in an emergency room mm -hmm. and I know Monica has and I have uh, over 37 years when you walk in there, the chaos that goes on in an emergency room with, with alarms going off constantly for monitors of, of cardiac patients, uh, respiratory things, there's, there's beeping and there's buzzings, and they're ignored sometimes because they, they malfunction. Um, but yet, until someone comes to say, can you please come turn this thing off? How many buzzes and noise is gonna be made that, that all of a sudden, they're going to recognize that that buzzer that's going off is for a baby inside there. Um, that's not that that that's something that we really have to consider. Uh, the insurance aspects of it, uh, you know, well, it, as an administrator, just like you, uh, as a representative, you have to look at cost factors here, just like I have to do. And um, those things we we have. Um, I'm, I'm shocked that Monica wants to launch a whole new. Uh, hotline. I mean, it's been successful. It's been working hand in hand with uh, Indiana and and the crisis hotlines. Um, and and now to turn around and want to now throw another number in on this, I think that's going to cause even more confusion. Do, do you um, have those? Th do you you work with Arizona and Pennsylvania as well? I presume. I mean, do people call from their states? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, also, Massachusetts. I run the, the Massachusetts. Uh, hotline completely for them okay uh, and also the the national hotline number picks up the majority of the calls throughout the entire country 
So one of the interesting things that we've discovered in doing this is we there were some initial uh, news items about this legislation saying Indiana is going to be the first, could be the first state in the country with respect to these type of devices. We've come to find out that's that's absolutely not true. Um, And and, and so I guess my question is, do you have those same issues with respect to uh, Arizona and their baby drawers and Pennsylvania and the baby bassinet devices? Does that have the same effect on your insurance? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, that we, we've had those factors thrown in. Uh, the insurance company uh, has that listed, and that's why uh, when now Indiana wants to, to put the boxes in, um, the insurance company says, well, Tim, we, we'll work something out with you on this. But at the present time, the calculated uh, payments, they gave me prices from $100 per box per year. They wanted to know the certification, who is going to be certifying these boxes, are they going to be maintained uh, and, and inspected regularly, yeah. uh, are they all functioning? And so, so those, sure. those are the con- Well, I'd, I'd be delighted to, um, if, you would, if you'd be, I'd love to talk to you offline, actually, just informally um, sometime in the next few days. But I'd also be delighted to talk to your, to your insurance provider, because I think what we could, there are certainly some legislative fixes or additions in mind um, that uh, I think we certainly make sure that uh, uh, we meet the needs of, of uh, what they're doing. You're, you're doing a, a great service, and, and I think Monica's intention, uh, again, certainly altruistic and uh, in, in wanting to come alongside and make sure that um, it, I, her point is with respect to Indiana, there is, no, there is no central that I'm aware of, and I think Monica would probably agree with this, um, nonprofit agency within Indiana that, that does this for Indiana, and I think that would be a good thing and could be very complementary to, to good organizations like yours. What do you mean um, by does this? Could you clarify, please? Uh, that that, um, that uh, uh, promotes and is responsible for the safe haven law or um, acts as a, a local nonprofit entity of support for some of those issues that happens in the state. Okay. okay gotcha. we, we have or we have organization or we have people in Indiana that are promoting this law yeah. on their own dollar um, but we don't have a nonprofit that's doing this um, and then that's what we're trying to accomplish okay so Monica I'm curious what would your crisis hotline say that Tim's crisis hotline isn't saying no, uh, actually we could probably learn a lot from from Tim's crisis hotline um, but uh, basically it's going to be the sa- exact same thing that he is doing you know encouraging these girls to walk into a fire station asking what help we can we can give these girls can we refer them to a crisis pregnancy center uh, you know everything that we're going to do is is going to um, uh, encourage this girl to not use the baby box but we understand in Indiana that not every girl is going to do this I mean Tim just had one in, in Queens New York uh, we just had one in Arkansas um, two days ago where a, a baby was left on the porch there are girls that don't want the face-to-face interaction and this this box is simply just an extension of the law okay so um, you, you're if, pressing the oh, I'm sorry I interrupted go ahead Monica I'm sorry no, no, we're, we're encouraging girls to do exactly what Tim has been doing for 15 years but if they feel that they can't walk into a fire station and hand over their child, then we want these boxes in place. I'm from a small town in, in Indiana, Woodburn, 1,500 people. I'm on the fire department there. Do you think if a girl walked into my fire department right now and handed over a child that I would not know who she is and who her parents are? Well, I That's know, the but, real- but, you know, I don't see how there's any perceived anonymity taking your child uh, and putting it in a box at a hospital. The, I mean, there's, or, or even a fire station, there's certainly security cameras pretty much everywhere you go now. I mean, I, I guess 
That seems a little um, naive. Well, if you look at Arizona, uh, Arizona has the baby drawers. They do not have cameras on the outside of their hospitals pointing to the baby drawers. They have cameras on the inside pointing to the drawer. So when the nurse takes the child out, then she then the, the camera is taking video of that. Um, and, and that's what we intend to do for Indiana. We don't want these girls to feel like they're being watched. Hey, Monica, um, can I ask you another question? You keep sure. referring to girls. Why, why is it that you use that word instead of the word woman? I'm just curious. Uh, no, no reason. Women, uh, girls. I mean, actually, we've had a 42-year-old relingu- or, uh, uh, abandon her child. So, I mean, we have women, we have girls. There's no reason why I'm using girls just, just as a... Uh, just because of women and men, I I, I don't know. It's just I just call them girls. Okay, thanks. Can I, can I yeah. just the eight hundred number thing is is very disturbing to me right now. This is the first time I'm I'm picking this up about this. Now, if if the legislation passes and they get out there with it, I'm sure that I have no no problem with my eight hundred number being used. My uh, and of course I'll find a way to to cover any of these particular expenses and uh, and see about about that um my main concern also is part of the police department is that when the terrorist task force asks me questions regarding the boxes as a threat now in in the environment in the world that we're living in today i'm concerned about about that very much concerned with the emergency rooms that are vulnerable today with the threats because of, of terrorists wanting to take out their first responders. I've experienced it here when the towers went down, and this is uh, um, a concern that I have very strongly regarding the boxes. All right. If you want to join this conversation, we're having a it's a pretty rousing conversation, and, and we have uh, people on both sides of this issue here with us today. We're talking about uh, the newborn safety incubators or baby boxes as they're being commonly called you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 in bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside the bloomington area you can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition and you can follow us on twitter at noon edition okay here's a crazy question <clears throat> if anonymity when you relinquish your baby is the issue why isn't it possible to and this is going to sound again kind of wackadoodle but um, why isn't it possible to provide a way for the mother to uh, disguise her her facial feature I'm thinking of something that covers her full body and face and so the baby you know so the baby actually gets handed from a human being to a human being but one human being's identity is obscured Uh, I, I suppose I can answer that. Um, uh, well, and, you, and it kind of goes back to the awareness campaigns that every state has or most states have. And, and some of the states that have the most amazing awareness campaigns, New York, Tim, you're doing a great job out there. Um, Illinois, um, the National Safe Haven Alliance said that Illinois was doing a great job, that they were probably the best in the country, um, but they're still having abandoned babies. So we still have to look at, you know, go back to why are these women discarding their children? Um, and in a perfect world, we would love every girl to walk into a fire station and hand over a child, but realistically, we know that's just not going to happen. And this is just an extension. Again, we want these girls to walk into the fire station, police station, or hospital, or women, um, but it's not happening 
throughout this country, let alone in Indiana. And 33 babies in Indiana is too many babies. That's two a year that are being discarded illegally. And we feel that this is um, that this is warranted in Indiana. Okay, we have a phone call um, from Sam in Bloomington. Sam? Hi, I have a question uh, regarding, I suppose, uh, the stigma of offering these boxes, uh, much like the ideas of a clean needle program uh, here in Indiana with the outbreak of uh, heroin abuse and the AIDS uh, epidemic that seems to be going on in southern India. What is the consensus? What is this, uh, the general, how do I put it, uh, pushback against offering these boxes versus just the existing law of uh, the safe haven program? Uh, if you could elaborate on just the pushback on that general thought. Thank you. Can, can I Casey, that'd probably be you. Yeah, can I try to answer that? Yeah, sure. Sure, thank you. Uh, thank you. Great question. Um, and I view them, as Monica does, as complementary. And so to me, the policy choice was actually made, at least in Indiana, 15 years ago. And I, I would love to hear Tim's, some of uh, Tim's, I guess, stories. I'm sure that when he started this, uh, back when he did, he got a lot of opposition, I would guess, with respect to uh, people who thought that um, this, is, this is akin to accepting the issue of abandonment. And, from, and I think that Indiana, as well as, as apparently every uh, state in the country, made a policy choice 15 years ago, which basically said, um, look, we don't live in a perfect world, and we value, if, if we can save a child's life, uh, we are willing to do that um, versus, uh, uh, versus the alternative. And so we're willing to allow a legal mechanism to um, allow this safe surrender, safe relinquishment, um, uh, even though there could be some theory that it could also encourage uh, abandonment. Um, as far as the, the application to newborn safety incubators, I, I have gathered there's, there's kind of two groups that have concerns or are against it. And the first group are the, it would be the same group that is against uh, safe haven laws in general, uh, and that is um, some of the United Nations concerns about um, every child has a right to know where they came from, et cetera. Those could equally be applied as criticisms of the existing safe haven laws. There's, there's, there are people in that camp that think that the laws as they exist right now are a bad idea. Uh, the second group is, or uh, I guess, more along Tim's concerns. They support the policy underlying what we're getting at. Support the policy of of safe haven laws in general, but have concerns as to the functional capacity of the newborn safety incubators. But Tim, if you don't mind my asking, what's some of the opposition you ran into when you uh, when you went down this path uh, a couple decades ago? Uh, it, it, from the Bastard Nation, they were opposed to it, and they, they uh, um, Molly Granger and uh, um, they 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 pushed me hard, uh, saying that I'm taking the identity away from the children uh, at the time. But uh, here we were averaging 16 babies a year, one a month, found in dumpsters and garbage cans. And since over the period of years, those numbers have dropped down to two or three. I, I don't think even with the baby boxes that are being installed, we are going to have death. It is going to occur. Um, the only way that this that this can really help is is if even with the boxes being in, employed is still public awareness out there to get the message out uh, on the air uh, to the young people and the young ladies and women that are out there um, we do see that uh, the numbers of age brackets of the relinquishments 
are in the late twenties, uh, uh, early twenties, and, and around the twenties is the higher numbers of the relinquishments. So, they, the women that that are there, they're intelligent enough to know how to call. Um, what we do under the federal law is to try to get the birth mother to go into the hospital anonymously under the name of Jane Doe, uh, be it Jane Doe Hope, Jane Doe Haven, give birth safely under emergency federal uh, care, and then she, anonym- she leaves and the baby remains in the hospital and she remains anonymous. That has been what we've been pushing extremely strong for that, and we've had an incredible number. Um, last year, we've, we had 17 relinquishments under the law, and out of those 17, six were relinquished to firehouses. The other ones, the mothers gave birth in the hospital and then left after it. So here, you're getting a second opportunity by professional people to educate Tim, that you're, woman. Tim, you're going to have to wrap this up. Yeah. With the ability to be able to choose an adoption rather than a relinquishment. Okay, we are out of time. I Sounds to... like we need mommy boxes as much as we need baby boxes. <laughs> Maybe, <yeah. laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank our guests today, uh, Monica Kelsey, Representative Casey Cox, and Tim Jacquard. And I also want to thank Mary Catherine Carmichael, our two producers, Lacey Scarmana and Alexander McCall, engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined. Addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu.